So we're going to dive right in to the message today uh, because there's a lot of ground to cover as we look at Acts chapter 8. We started a series through the book of Acts several weeks back and it's called Unleashed. And this series is all about the book of Acts. We are going chapter by chapter, week by week, one chapter per week for 28 weeks uh, as we study the book of Acts together. And like I prayed uh, in my prayer, uh, we want to learn principles of church leadership and church governance and church practice uh, from the first century church that we can put into practice here in the 21st century so that we can get back to doing things the way they did them in the Bible. Uh, so that's our goal in this study is to learn these principles and to learn the practices of the early church so that we can put them into practice here in the 21st century. Uh, so we have been going week by week, uh, chapter by chapter. We are in chapter 8. Uh, we left off in chapter 7 with the stoning of a man named Stephen. Now Stephen was one of the first, of the, uh, one of the first deacons of the church in Jerusalem. Stephen was a godly man. Uh, Stephen was accused of blasphemy against God, blasphemy against the Torah, which is the first five books of the Jewish Bible. Uh, he was accused of blaspheming the temple, and, and uh, he did not do any of those things. He was a devout believer in Jesus Christ, and one of, like I said, one of the first deacons of the early church. And so Stephen uh, was accused of these things. He was brought before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, uh, the Jewish religious council, and they, uh, he preached a powerful sermon to these guys, uh, and they were so upset and so angry and so frustrated that they gnashed their teeth at Stephen, and then they grabbed him, they took him out of the city, they threw him over a cliff, and they dropped boulders on him, they stoned him to death. But before he died, he looked up into heaven, and he could see Jesus, the Son of Man, standing at the right hand of God. And then as Stephen died, he was welcomed into his eternal reward. Now, right before the end of chapter 7, there's a little note that said that uh, the people who were stoning him laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And that is our first introduction to Saul in the book of Acts. And we learn a little bit more about him in Acts chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, uh, grab your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, you can use your phone or your tablet. Uh, you can use a, a, a Bible app like YouVersion or Bible Gateway. Or if you don't, uh, even better, uh, use the GFCC app. And you can go to your app store and search for GFCC, whether it's the Google Play Store or the iTunes Store. Search for GFCC and you can download the GFCC app. You can take sermon notes. You can get push notifications. You can give your tithes and offerings through the app. It's very, very handy, very useful. Announcements, digital bulletins, all kinds of great stuff uh, through the app. So we are in Acts chapter 8. Uh, and um, we are going to look at uh, several passages of Scripture as we talk about four different stories or so here in Acts chapter 8. Uh, and, and I've called this message Stage 2, and I'll explain that in just a moment. So in Acts chapter 8, the very first part of it, it's the very end of Acts 7, the very beginning of Acts 8, says this, And Saul approved of their killing him. So Saul oversaw the murder of Stephen, and he gave 
his approval of their killing Stephen. So like I said, here's the very first introduction we get to Saul. Now Saul was a Pharisee. Pharisees were experts in the law. Uh, they were zealous for the law. They were zealous for God. So much so, zealous for the Old Testament, zealous for the law of Moses, that they, uh, the Saul especially, uh, persecuted Jewish people who became Christians. So he persecuted Jewish people who became Christians, as though they were traitors, uh, as though they were blasphemers. Uh, and so he started to persecute the church of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what uh, the second half of verse 1 says. It says, On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Uh, so those are two regions of, of uh, Palestine, of, of Israel. Uh, there's Judea, and that's where Jerusalem was located. It's the larger region where Jerusalem was located. It's in the southern part of Israel. And then there was Samaria, which was to the north of Judea. And Samaria was where the Samaritans lived. Perhaps you've heard of the parable of the Good Samaritan. Well, Samaritans were not looked upon favorably by the Jewish people. In fact, the Samaritans were seen as half-breeds, that their ancestors were Jews who intermingled and intermarried with Gentiles. And so they were seen as half-breeds. Uh, they were ethnically impure. Um, the Samaritans were also uh, religiously outcasts because uh, they believed that they were to worship in a different place than Jerusalem. And so there were religious differences, ethnic differences, custom differences between the Jews and the Samaritans, and they just despised each other. And so the, the, for, the, for the gospel to go to Samaria would have been very difficult. Would have been very difficult for the Jews in Jerusalem, the Christian Jews, to take the gospel out of Jerusalem. In fact, they were very, very satisfied in Jerusalem. But until persecution breaks out, uh, and, and that's exactly what happens, is persecution breaks out, and uh, the gospel begins to spread out from Jerusalem. And it was a fulfillment of what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, when he told his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so that's why I'm calling this stage two, because stage one was the early church being the uh, witnesses in Jerusalem. Stage two was Judea and Samaria. And that's what happens uh, there in Acts chapter uh, 8. Uh, it says that the, the apostles, uh, everyone except the apostles, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And then verse 3 tells us what Saul begins to do. It says, But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So Christians, Jewish Christians, uh, people who converted to Christianity, were being hauled off and thrown into prison by this zealous Pharisee named Saul. So we read about Stephen in chapters 6 and 7. He was one of the first deacons. But one of his fellow deacons was a Greek Jewish Christian by the name of Philip. 
And we are introduced to Philip in chapter 6. And uh, there's out of the seven deacons, only two of them uh, have their stories explained. The first one is Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and 7. And then here in Acts chapter 8, we read about Philip. And we read about his story. Uh, look at, and his story begins in, in verse 4, uh, chapter 8, verse 4. It says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. So they preached the word wherever they went. And this is important, that everywhere the early Christians went, these, these Christian men and women who were in Jerusalem until the persecution broke out, and then they started going to Judea and Samaria, and everywhere they went, they preached the good news of Jesus. They preached the gospel. The ancient Greek word for gospel is the word euangelion. It's a word from which we get our word evangelism, to tell other people good news. And that word euangelion literally means good news. That's what gospel means, good news. And wherever the early Christians were scattered, wherever they were spread to, they preached the good news of Jesus. So Philip goes to Samaria, and he begins to preach the gospel. He begins to tell people about Jesus. And sure enough, he, and, and his ministry is confirmed with signs and wonders. And he was able to do miracles of healing. He was able to do miracles of casting demons out of people. Uh, and because he was able to do these things, it created an audience. It gave him an audience of Samaritan people. And the Samaritans began to believe that Jesus was the Son of God and that Jesus is the Messiah. And so they started to put their faith and trust in Jesus, and they were baptized. Um, and then we read an interesting story about a man named Simon. And we'll get into his story in just a second. Um, but this man named Simon uh, was part of... Uh, he was a Samaritan. And not only was he a Samaritan, but he was a sorcerer. Now, I, I don't know if he's kind of like a sorcerer like Harry Potter, uh, a sorcerer like the Wicked Witch of the West, um, but all I know is that he was a sorcerer. And he had captivated the attention of his fellow Samaritans so much that, get this, they call him the Great Power of God. That was his name. That's what they called him. Everywhere he went, it's like, there goes the great power of God. I could not imagine having such incredible power, such incredible abilities that people called me the great power of God. Now, sometimes in my own mind, I think that when I get a, too much of an overinflated sense of ego, but I am not the great power of God. And neither was Simon, but he had created that kind of mystique and aura about him. And so people followed him everywhere he went, proclaiming him to be the great power of God. Now, look what happens in verses 12 and 13. But when they believed Philip, this is the Samaritans, when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So Philip is doing all these signs and wonders, these signs and miracles, healing people, like people who couldn't walk were walking, uh, casting demons out of people. And Simon, the sorcerer, is amazed by what he sees Philip doing. And so the uh, 
apostles in Jerusalem had heard that the gospel had come to the Samaritans. And so they sent Peter and John to Samaria to find out what was going on, to investigate these new uh, believers. So they go to uh, Samaria and they begin to talk to the Samaritans to see what was going on. Look at verses 15 through 17. It says, when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, that sounds kind of strange because back in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you uh, and for those who are far off whom the Lord our God will call. Now, why didn't the Samaritans receive the Holy Spirit? And the scholars are kind of torn as to why they didn't receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, I, I, I think that the, the prevailing uh, theory is that the Samaritans and Jews were such uh, at such odds with one another all the time that it would have been very difficult for the Jerusalem church to accept the Samaritans because of their ethnic, religious, and customary differences. But what if God said, hey, he sends Philip, who was a Greek Jewish Christian, he sends Philip to Jerusalem in order, uh, uh, he sends Philip to Samaria in order to preach the gospel. Philip was kind of an outsider since he was a Greek Jewish Christian, not a Hebraic Christ Jewish Christian. So as an outsider, he goes to Samaria. He's gonna, his, his testimony is going to be accepted more than if one of the apostles had come. And then the apostles do come and they see the evidence of, of Philip's work. And for the sake of the Jerusalem church, so that they would know that they could accept these Samaritans who are outsiders and outcasts and ostracized, that they were indeed accepted by God. They placed their hands on the Samaritans and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, this is not the normative salvation experience. This is an exception to the normative experience. And in my um, my opinion, God can do whatever he wants. And so if it requires that uh, a secondary coming of the Holy Spirit, it didn't mean that the Samaritans weren't saved. It just means they hadn't had the outward manifestations of the Holy Spirit uh, that they had in the first century. So the Samaritans begin to believe in Jesus Philip uh, preaches the gospel. Simon the sorcerer even becomes a Christian. And when he sees Peter and John place their hands on the, uh, the other Samaritans and they receive the Holy Spirit, Simon says, I want that power. Here, I will give you money if you let me put my hands on people and they receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter is furious with Simon. And he tells him to repent of this sin. He says, may you and your money perish with you. And, and and Simon's freaking out going, oh, you know, pray for me that this would not happen to me. And then Peter and John went back to Jerusalem. And along the way, they preached the gospel in many Samaritan villages, it says. Well, back to Philip and his story. So Philip was told by an angel to go to a certain road and start going south. As Philip was going south on this road, he came across a 
uh, an Ethiopian official. He was an Ethiopian eunuch, meaning he had been, been physically emasculated. And so Philip uh, comes, up, comes up to this Ethiopian eunuch, this official. He was very important in the queen's palace in Ethiopia. Uh, he was in charge of the entire treasury. So this is a high-ranking official. He had been in Jerusalem worshiping God. So he was probably a Jewish convert. Um, but he's not a Christian. He was a, a convert to Judaism. And, and here's the thing about uh, him being physically emasculated. In the Old Testament, he would not have been allowed to worship in the temple uh, because of his physical condition. Now, he's reading a scroll, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Philip, uh, the Holy Spirit prompts Philip to go over to where this Ethiopian official is reading this uh, scripture. Uh, and he overhears what the Ethiopian official is reading. And he asks the Ethiopian eunuch, what are you reading? And he reads it to him. He's reading Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8. And this is what it says. It says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. Now that's the Jewish translation of the Old Testament. Uh, the Ethiopian official was reading from the Greek translation of the, New, of the Old Testament called the Septuagint. And so uh, Philip asks the Ethiopian eunuch, he says, Do you understand what you are reading? And he says, how can I unless someone explains it to me? He, and then the Ethiopian eunuch says this. Look at verses 34 and 35. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Now, what's amazing about the story is that they're going along in this chariot and Philip is telling the Ethiopian all about Jesus and they come across a, a body of water and the Ethiopian eunuch says to Philip, he says, look, here's water right there. Here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And Philip says, nothing. So they get up, they get in the water, they go down into the water and Philip baptizes the Ethiopian. Now, what's interesting to me is that it didn't say that Philip shared the gospel with him and told him that he needed to get baptized. It's just he shared the gospel with him. And a first century gospel presentation obviously included baptism, that baptism was a part of the gospel presentation. And that's important uh, because sometimes churches don't believe in baptism, uh, but uh, it's, it's obvious in the book of Acts that every time someone comes to faith in Christ, they're baptized and, and immediately. And that's exactly what happens here with this Ethiopian eunuch. He is baptized immediately after coming to faith in Christ. He believes and then he is baptized. And over and over again, that's the pattern in the book of Acts. People believe and then they're immediately baptized. And that's why we're always ready to baptize here at GFCC. I don't care if it's three o'clock in the morning, you can give me a call. Uh, I had someone call me just a couple weeks ago uh, asking about baptism because I had given out my cell phone number in a sermon that she watched online. So my cell phone number is 219-895-6692. If you want to get baptized, give me a call and I, we will get that set up as soon as we can. 
Baptism is that important. You need to believe in Jesus. You need to repent from your sins. You need to confess your faith. You need to get baptized. And God will wash away your sins and fill you with the Holy Spirit. And you will, uh, he will change your life. He will change your destiny. And it's, it's when you put your faith and trust in Jesus. And that's how you do that. So what does this mean for us? What does the story of Philip mean for us? Well, I, I, I think there's a couple of things uh, that we can learn from this first century story. Uh, the first is we need to get out of the church building and into the world. If we're going to be witnesses for Jesus, if we're going to be effective ambassadors for Jesus, if we're going to be effective witnesses for Jesus Christ, we got to get out of the church building and into the world. Now, this is kind of weird because I'm preaching to an empty church building right now. But I think you understand what I'm saying, that sometimes in our Christian experience, in our walk with Christ, we're very content to go to church on Sunday and leave our church, uh, church self at the, at the building. Uh, kind of like when you... Uh, come in and, and you hang up your coat on the coat rack, uh, and then you grab your coat before you leave. It's like you take off your church self and put it on the coat rack, uh, and you grab your coat, and then you leave. And then when you come back, you put your church self back on. That, that's not the way. We are not supposed to compartmentalize our faith. Our faith should be uh, inform everything that we do, should inform everything that we say. Uh, our faith uh, should uh, impact us every single second of every single day in the things that we say, in the things that we think, in the things that we do, in the things that we post. Uh, we need to constantly be aware of the fact that we are ambassadors for Jesus. And everything we do, everything we say, everything we post reflects either positively or negatively on Jesus Christ. You cannot leave your faith at the church building when you leave on a Saturday night or a Sunday morning. You've got to take it with you, and you need to be an ambassador for Jesus. And that means to share the good news with other people. And that means getting out of the church building and telling people at work, telling people at home, telling people at school, telling people uh, at the store, uh, telling people... I. I have had at least three conversations at Disney World about who Jesus is waiting in line for a ride. I was there just in January, and I was standing in the line of the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, and I just strike up a conversation with the guy behind me. He was a really nice guy, lives in uh, the Boston area, and I started talking to him about Jesus, because everywhere I go, I'm an ambassador for Jesus, and so are you. And that means... That you need to get out of the church building and into the world. And you need to tell everyone about Jesus everywhere you go. That's what Philip did. He got booted out of Jerusalem because of persecution. What did Philip do? He went to Samaria. He says, I want to tell people in Samaria about Jesus. He goes down south. Uh, on the road toward uh, Ethiopia, on the road toward Africa, and he meets this Ethiopian official, this Ethiopian eunuch, and he tells him all about Jesus. He baptizes him, and that Ethiopian eunuch was most likely the first missionary to Africa, the entire continent of Africa. He was the first convert in Africa, and it started because Philip shared the gospel with him, because Philip told everyone about Jesus everywhere he went. And the same thing goes for you and for me. We need to tell everyone about Jesus everywhere we go. 
And that means you need to know your story. It means you need to know the benefits of following Jesus. You need to know what a difference Jesus makes. What difference has Jesus made in your life? What difference has Jesus made in your family? You need to be able to tell people Jesus makes the difference. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes our lives. Jesus changes our destinies. He fills us with hope. He fills us with the Holy Spirit. He fills us with peace. He fills us with love. And, we, and because of his grace, we are saved. We need to tell people about Jesus everywhere we go because it's that important. It is that important that people hear about who Jesus is and what a difference he makes. And that means you've got to be able to tell people at the very least invite people to come to church so that they can hear the good news about Jesus when they come and they can become ambassadors for Jesus and they can go out into the world and invite people to church or go out and tell people their story. It's that important, my friends. It is that important that we tell everybody everywhere about Jesus Christ because he is the only way. He is the only truth. He is the only life. The only way to get to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And there are people that you know and people that I know and people that we know and whom we love and whom we care about who if the world ended today, they wouldn't go to heaven. And, and that's not to say that we're better than them. It's not to say that, you know, well, you know, sorry. No, it means that we have a job to do. And we need to get out of the church building and into the world and to tell everybody everywhere about who Jesus Christ is and what a difference he makes.